Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. You can find your seats again. Um, we are in the book of Zephaniah, if you can find it. That's in the Old Testament, in the Minor Prophets. And um, if you can't, you can always use your phone. You can, as Luke said, go live online at fxchurch.com. The scriptures are there. You can just follow along once you click. Um, our series in Zephaniah is titled, On That Day. Um, over and over again in the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah is talking about the day that's coming, the day of the Lord. It actually is mentioned <clears throat> over 19 times in a, in a book that's only three chapters long. So like, it's constantly the theme that on that day, this is what's going to happen. And so when I, normally when we pick a series title, I try to pick a title, not that's catchy or anything like that, not that I don't want it to be catchy, but something that's from the text. <laughs> like, what, what did the author say the book was about? And Zephaniah is, is writing to a people, much like the circumstances that we're in, trying to communicate to his people what they can expect. Because that's really, if we're honest, those are the things we wonder about, right? Like, okay, what's going to happen on Friday, on that day? What's, what's going to happen on Monday? What's going to happen in three weeks? You know, we got this trip planned, and on that day we leave, or on this day we're doing that. And we're, we're a people that's constantly looking for the next moment, the next thing. And that's not wrong. God tells us that we should look forward to, to the day he's bringing. We should look forward to a day that's coming. But I'm telling you that Zephaniah, in the midst of that, is saying you need to get ready for that day. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there's a day coming and you know you're not ready for it. I know if you're in college, this is probably a normal occurrence for you. Right? Or if you've been recently in college or high school, this is a normal occurrence for you. Wait, there's a quiz? What? Uh, today? On this? Like, well, I knew there was a test at some point, but I totally forgot. And now the day is here. Right? And it's amazing how much prayer happens on those days. Right? Like, People just become incredible prayer warriors of God, please give me wisdom I didn't study for. You know, help me to know the answers. Help me to guess C when it's not C. And like, you know, I mean, it, and Zephaniah is, is writing to a people that have seen a lot of chaos. They're in a period in this moment where they're actually at kind of winning. They're, they're winning in their culture. They're winning financially. Things are looking better and Zephaniah's message kind of just digs deeper and says, yeah, don't get too comfortable. And it's like, wait, what? I mean, we just went through awful. Like, the, we went through the worst period that we thought we could go through as a nation, and, and now you're telling us it's going to get worse? So he really wasn't necessarily a well-liked prophet either. Now, this morning, what I want us to look at, and we'll look at this when we get into chapter one, is the term swept away. When Zephaniah writes his book, and he starts out his book in chapter 1, he says there's coming a day when everything will be swept away. This morning, one of the things we do when we come here to the Banneker every morning, I get here early, there's some students that come in, Gary, hi Gary, Gary swept this morning, he swept away. I was here for an hour in this gym, it took about 30 minutes. This gym was a disaster because there was day camp here all week, there was food in the corner and bugs and all kinds of stuff, and it took us an hour to sweep all this away for you to come. And God says there's going to come a day when he's going to sweep everything away so that we can be with him. To, to get rid of all the mess, all the dirt, all the, the junk, 
so that there's a place we can gather that's clean and peaceful and ready for us. And he, Jesus himself said, I'm actually going away to prepare that place. I'm sweeping and I'm getting things ready for you to come, to be a part. And that's kind of the theme of Zephaniah. And Zephaniah didn't have the information that we have about Jesus. He was looking forward to a future Savior, a future Messiah, someone that would come someday that the Old Testament prophesied would come to save God's people and to punish those that refused to submit to God and receive his forgiveness. That's what Zephaniah is writing. We have a clearer picture of that in the person of Christ, and hopefully we'll clarify that. Now, if you're going to understand a prophecy book, when we work through Scripture, we want you to try to understand the different genres of Scripture. If you don't understand what a genre is, a genre is like a metaphor, a poem, right? A song. It's, it's an epistle in the New Testament, a gospel, a story. All those things are different genres, fiction, nonfiction. Those are ways that people write. If you don't understand what genre means, you will typically end up not getting the message the author intended, right? If you interpret a poem as literal, and the poem is talking about fly like a dove off the cliff, and you go running off the cliff and jump because you interpreted that literally that the poetic person wanted you to do it, you're in trouble if you don't have a parachute, so when you read scripture, God is a God of poetic language. He is, he, is, he is not a Western Greek God. And what I mean by that is he's not a God of exact perfect language that like adds up in math. Is he accurate? Is it true? Does it mean what it's supposed to mean? Absolutely. But you have to be able to like have half a brain to understand that God's not telling you to jump off a cliff. He's giving a metaphor for the freedom that you should have in him. Does that make sense? But we get this messed up and we allow people to take us into Old Testament prophecy books or we're going to be studying Revelation this fall, take us into eschatology books, end times books that give us an idea of what might be coming. And when we do that and we start to not remember what we're reading and why, we can go into some weird places. You also have to understand the history and the context of where something's written. Because if you don't understand that, then what you're going to do is you're going to apply things to it in your circumstance that those people weren't in that circumstance. And you're going to mess up the interpretation. This happens in families all the time, right? Where someone will say something and, you, and you're like, you interpreted it one way, so you did this. And they're like, no, like, like the last time. And you're like, oh, well, I thought it was like this. And all because you had the timing off and you didn't understand the history of what the conversation was. So I want to back you up and look at some of the history of where we're diving into this book in Zephaniah so that you can understand the message more clearly that God is giving through this prophet. And can I tell you, when I studied this book, I found out things that I just had never studied before, which I always do, but this was kind of cool. Even in the first sentence that we'll look at in a second, it's pretty amazing. So here's where we're at historically. So where are we in God's story? In 722, Assyria conquers Israel, that's the northern kingdom. Israel didn't like each other, so the Republicans and Democrats went north and south. Sound familiar? So there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and they kind of fought each other, and they didn't like each other too much, and didn't submit to one another, and yeah, we had that, we fought a war over it. So 
What God said was to the northern kingdom, I'm okay, I, I understand you're splitting from them, but I still need you to worship in Jerusalem. Don't create a different worship place. Still honor me. Still do what the Old Testament commands to do in terms of worship. Obey the Old Testament. The northern king said, no, I don't like that. I'm going to create a new worship center and new ways to worship. And God's like, that's not good. I'm going to send judgment on you. So God sends the Assyrian. He raises up nations. He does this all the way through history. He raises up nations to punish other nations. That's how God does things. You can argue with him on that. That's how he does it. He doesn't just send angels from heaven and they zap lightning bolts. He uses people to discipline people. He uses people to raise up people, i.e. families and children. It's just his plan. So he raises up the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empires go in and they finally conquer the northern kingdom. Now, the purpose of that was to hopefully get the attention of the southern kingdom. You know what I mean? Like if you saw your little brother get the, you know, rear end beat out of him because of what he did, you'd be smart to say, don't do that. Like whatever he did, let's not do that. Or at least let's hide that we do it, right? Like let's not be openly blunt and blatant about doing it and expect mom and dad not to give us the same punishment. That's what God was doing. He punished the northern empire, disciplined them in the hopes that the people would change. They would be like, oh wow, yeah, we haven't been following God. We will surrender. And the southern kingdom didn't do that they decided they were smarter and could sin more crafty and better in a lot of ways so you have hezekiah who was a southern king this is the kingdom of judah because now israel's gone so there's just a southern kingdom and now assyria is oppressing the southern kingdom which is where zephaniah is growing up as a young man this is where he's growing up he's growing up and he has a nation but he's in a nation that's oppressed by this assyrian empire Hezekiah is a king that comes along. He is actually a good king. But after Hezekiah, this wicked king comes along, Manasseh. Manasseh is the wicked, most wicked king ever in the history of Israel, God says. A matter of fact, God tells his people through multiple prophets that because of what Manasseh did, all the judgment that I'm going to bring on you is basically just from Manasseh. That's how evil he was. I mean, that's how... But at the end of Manasseh's life, God sent him away to another empire. He was under the authority of Necho Pharaoh. And as a result, he asked God to spare his life. God spared his life. And Manasseh actually repented and brought change to the nation and went in and started tearing down all the evil he did at the end of his life. It's an amazing story of repentance and restoration and like, wow, that God would forgive the most wicked king, and, and give him what we sang this morning, forgiveness for such an idiot and wicked person as Manasseh. And still God said, you're still going to suffer the consequences of Manasseh as a nation, but I've forgiven you. And there's still hope. So then he goes on. After Manasseh, Amnon comes to power. Amnon is Manasseh's son, and he is just super wicked. He only lasts two years. He's so wicked, they just kill him. Because they're like, we know all the judgment that came from Manasseh. We don't want any more. So Amnon just gets killed. So then you've got Josiah. Josiah is made king at the age of eight. I mean, they're struggling to find righteous people to put in charge of their government. Let me me repeat that. They're struggling to find righteous people to put in charge of their government. (laughs) They're putting eight-year-olds in charge of entire countries because there's no adults in the room. There's no men that will lead righteously. Josiah becomes king. He reigns for 31 years. And in 622, Josiah brings about the greatest revival in Israel's history, basically because he wants to read the Bible. That's it. 
He's like, I just want to read the Bible. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what God says. He starts reading. He's like, why aren't we doing that? Let's do that. Am I king? Oh, I am. Let's do that then. Let's do what this says. And he just starts like obeying. Like he just starts saying, well, then do it. And they're like, well, you're 10. I don't care. Let's do it. Like, and he brings the greatest revival in the history of nation. And, and during this time, Zephaniah is growing up as a young man during Manasseh's reign. He sees the repentance of Manasseh, okay? He sees the wickedness and the death of Amnon. He sees Josiah, and he sees the reforms that Josiah brings. And now Zephaniah, God calls Zephaniah to write and to prophesy and begin his ministry to the people. So Zephaniah has seen a lot. He has grown up in a mess of a nation. I mean a disaster. And God is calling him to go out and be his messenger and he's calling him at a time when things are looking really good. There's a revival. Josiah's happening. Like they've gotten rid of all the idols and it looks like God's restoring us and things are going to get better and Zephaniah's message is no. It's not going to get better. I don't know if you would want to carry that message. But that's actually the message that we have to carry as Christians. That yes, eventually someday it will be better, but not like you think. On that day, God will make it better, but it may not be on your day or on this day. Is Zephaniah's message. Assyria is defeated. Necho of Egypt kills Josiah. The nation is in a mess. We just had the assassination of a prime minister in Japan. There's the assassination, the killing of Josiah in battle. The nation is like, what do we do now? And instead of repenting and seeking God, they turned back to their wicked ways. And God raises up the Babylonians and Medes to destroy Assyria in 612, and then the Babylonians and Medes destroy Jerusalem and take over God's people, and God's people go into slavery and exile for 70 years. 70 years is a long time. That's like your whole life. That's no small thing. And then God brings them back to the land after 70 years. So this is the the prophet Zephaniah. You've got to know a little bit about him. Verse 1 says this, Zephaniah 1.1, the word of the Lord. This should be a question you ask often. What really is the word of the Lord? There are people running around all the time saying they have a word from God. Every religion is because some guy said, I got a word from God. I saw an angel. I saw a vision. I shook a lot and had something pop in my head. And so here's my new religion. Like every single religion is based on they have a word from a higher power or a God. So how do we know ours is right? How do... How do we know that Zephaniah is not just some crazy guy writing? Well, we'll see as we go through the book, but if you want to determine if there's a word from God or not, it's really not too difficult. You need to ask yourself, what kind of God makes the most sense? And if you look at Christianity, Christianity is a God that absolutely makes the most sense. When you look at the other gods and kind of think through, like for example, Allah and Islam. There's no concept of, like, forgiveness and love in Islam. The the religion means submit. That's the definition of the religion. Women don't have equal rights in Islam. They are not treated as equals, nor are they valued as equals. Where Christianity treats women as co-heirs with Christ. 
Or you look at Buddhism. Buddhism believes that all that we see is fake. And actually, the, the true Buddhist is the one that would go up on a mountainside and meditate himself until he passes on to nirvana, starving himself to death, so that he leaves himself of all the worldly things so that he can meditate himself to nirvana. Well, that's fine unless it's your husband on the mountain and you can't feed your kids. Then that religion seems a little weird to me because I can't feed little Johnny because you're up meditating on the mountain. See, God is a God that calls us both to the spiritual and the physical. The person of Christ is the actual symbol of a God that says, I am spiritual, 100% God, and I'm going to come and be 100% man. I am going to enter into the physical and be connected to the spiritual, and I am going to literally connect the void that mankind continues to make. Because all the other religions, are you ready for this? All the other religions are based on, I have to attempt to work to get to God. Christianity is the only religion that said God himself, not an angel, not some other beings, not some demons, God himself came in the flesh to prove who he was and that was the plan from the beginning of time when he was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. If Christianity is not true, I've said this before, it is the first religion you should dismiss out of all of them. Because it's the only one that says you can't get to heaven by your works. You can't be good enough. You can't outweigh the bads in your life. It's the only religion that poses that. All the other religions say you do all these things and you get to different levels. Christianity is the only one that says that's impossible. It leaves you powerless. And Zephaniah is getting ready to give a message, a word, telling the people, you are powerless to change this. The day is coming. It's already been set. God has decided a judgment. There is no repentance. It's going to keep it from happening. You can't beg God to not let it come. It's done. Now, how are you going to respond? Are you going to submit to the God of the universe that he is true and good and loving and kind and gracious and right and righteous? Or are you going to be swept away with everyone else? Swept like the corners of this room and thrown in the garbage Or are you going to be swept up with him, gathered with him? Zephaniah says the word of God. Here's what John said about Jesus. John 1.1 says, in the beginning, that's the beginning of time. The beginning of time means that day, that first day, whatever that first day was. In the beginning of time on that day was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. He's talking about Jesus here. And apart from Jesus or him, not one thing was created that has not been created. Life was in Jesus, him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Zephaniah is getting ready to give a message to say there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a day coming. And on that day, there is hope. But I'm telling you, you're going to go through darkness. But look to the light. Look to God's word. So the person that's writing the book of Zephaniah is Jesus having a relationship with him, speaking to him and allowing in Zephaniah's personality, in the genre he wants him to write, he's speaking through, he's he's having a conversation with Zephaniah about what Zephaniah should say and we can trust that because he's the only God that came from heaven to earth and proved that he actually talks to people by talking to people (laughs) physically. That it's not just some metaphysical, spiritual, weird thing. He physically showed up. 
So Zephaniah, when he talks about the word of the Lord, he is directly referencing, don't, don't doubt it, he is directly referencing, according to John the Apostle, the word of the Lord is Jesus. He is the one that's trying to tell us there's a day coming and I'm going to come get you. There's a day coming when I'm going to come back and make things right, when I'm going to be the righteous king who reigns on the earth. Zephaniah goes on to say this, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Amnon, king of Judah. This is one of the most descriptive descriptive passages of any prophet in the Old Testament. Just that one sentence. Zephaniah was a Cushite. Do you know what a Cushite was? The Cushites came from Africa. This is the Old Testament black prophet. Not only does he have a hard message, but he has to tell a hard message as a minority. He has to speak a message of death and destruction as a man that's most likely very dark-skinned. God has a lot of mentions of the Cushites throughout the Bible. Solomon most likely married Cushite. Moses most married, most likely married a Cushite, a black woman. Uh, the first black Gentile that we know of converted outside of Jerusalem was the Ethiopian eunuch, Ethiopian Cushite. It's all over the scripture. And Zephaniah has to share this message. But here's the other thing about Zephaniah. Not only was he a Cushite, but he was even weirder. He actually was in the lineage of the kings. So he's a privileged minority. And he has to share this very hard message that's going to hurt and sting and isn't going to make him popular. Because he was from the line, he says, I'm of this line, which means I actually am related directly to the king of Judah. You think that's a benefit. Maybe not, because if Josiah is your relative and you're prophesying against Josiah and Josiah's like, things are getting better, things are going to be great, I'm off fighting, we're going to defeat the Egyptians and we're going to go after the Assyrians, and Zechariah's like, uh, no. That's not going to work out that way. What do you mean? You're my brother. You're my friend. Like, we're family. I, I got to say what the Word of God says. I, I love you, but you're going to die in battle, and it's going to get worse. See, we're always looking for someone that will look like us, speak like us, and tell us what we want to hear. And Zephaniah is all the opposite of that. So he goes in and he says this. This is his word. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. Well, that's a start. Goodness gracious. <laughs> How about you like ease into this, Zephaniah? Like just a little bit. Nope. He says, the Lord has said, I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. Everything? Everything. I will sweep away man and animal. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins 
along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. Well, that's the way to start a letter. Holy smokes, right? And Zephaniah says, I just have to tell the truth. This is what God has said. God says there's coming a day when everything is going to be swept away. Now, you may struggle with that and think, well, I don't want to believe in a God that's judgmental. I don't want to believe, like, I don't want to believe in that, right? Like, I want a God that's loving. Do you, do you realize that regardless of the God you believe in, you're going to be swept away one day and the earth is going to be destroyed? I promise. It's scientifically proven the earth will not last forever. It's going to literally be burned up most likely. The most likely case is either the earth gets hit by an asteroid and it like clouds us out and we all die and all living things die and maybe we'll survive, okay? But the more likely scenario is that our sun burns out someday and when it does, it creates a supernova and it completely annihilates the earth in fire. These are scientifically proven facts. Or our galaxy actually smashes into another galaxy because the galaxies are out there floating around. I don't know if you ever thought about this. They're just kind of floating around and we can have galaxies run into each other. And when that happens, that's a lot of power. And suns and stuff, like that's... So people read this, oh, I don't know. This is a hard message. No, it's really not. We've actually proven scientifically. This is actually, thank you, Zephaniah, for proving all of our science right. Yes, we're going to be destroyed. It's all going to be swept away one day. Now the question is, is there anything else after that? Is that it? So I just live for me and live on this rock and I live in this nation and I just try to go along with whatever the leaders are doing and I just, you know, I got to do my thing and live for me. And... Or do we give ourselves to try to help people to see that there's hope? But there's a God who cares that in the midst of the disaster that's coming, in the day that's coming, there's hope. In Revelation 19.11, the last book of the Bible we'll be covering this fall, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, who also wrote John 1.1, is writing. And he says, then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. See, all the other wars that we see fought in our day aren't done in righteousness. They're all selfish. Even the wars America has fought are selfish. Let's just be honest. Why did we seek independence? Like, just be honest. I mean, just, why did the United States seek independence? Because we didn't like taxes. That's it. We didn't have representation like we wanted to have it. It's kind of selfish. Great Britain had a good point. We've paid for two wars for you and defeated the Indians so you can have all this land, and we're asking you to pay for us back for doing that and you don't want to pay us. Um, no, we're going to fight you. These are the same fights we still have today. I'm not saying it wasn't right to do that or God didn't use it. I'm just saying be honest that we don't typically fight righteously. Do you fight righteously with your wife? Do you fight righteously with your mom or your dad? Do you fight righteously with your friends? Maybe if you're lucky. But most likely, you're not going to fight righteously. You're going to fight very unrighteously. Will you? Will I? And all of a sudden, it's like the blows are out. Most, I've never seen a couple argue and be like, I love you, and I want to be Christ for you, and I will take on the sin of you and I, and I will die for whatever it is we need to do. Amen. I've never seen that happen. I've never done that, and I know to do it. Like, 
It's not our natural inclination, but God says that there's going to be one that comes that's coming righteously. Not because he's mad, he's flying off the handle, but because there's been a day set, there's a time, it's the right time, it's the right day, it's the right thing, and he's going to do it perfectly. Then he says, the eyes, his eyes were like a fiery flame. And many crowns were on his head, and he had a name written that no one knows except himself, and he wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. It's Jesus. John, who wrote John 1.1, he knows when he writes this, he's like, oh yeah, the Word is back. He came in the Old Testament, and he left, and then he came, and then he died, and he ascended, and I saw him go up, and he's coming, the word's coming back. Because see, God just speaks things into existence. He just needs a word. Goes on, Zephaniah says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, and against all the residents of Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting, because he said, I'm going to sweep everything away, but then he doubles down on God's own family. <laughs> like, just so you don't think you're getting out of this, right? He's like, everything's going to be swept away. And Judah's probably thinking, yeah, and right when it's going to happen, we're all going to be sucked up and taken away so we don't have to suffer. There's a theology, a very popular one out there that says that. You might believe that. We can disagree on that. I'm not a big rapture guy that we're all going to get out of problems. The reason I'm, I think that there's going to be something where we meet Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But the whole idea that there's a rapture coming that I'm going to be taken out so I don't have to suffer. Have you read the Bible? Like most of the Bible is God's people suffering. Like most of the Christians in the world today aren't being raptured, they're being murdered. Now, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm, I'm not gonna get in an argument. We'll cover some of that in Revelation this fall, so stick around. But like what I'm saying is he's looking and Zephaniah says everything's going to be swept away and then he goes directly after God's own kids because God says judgment begins in my house before I judge anybody else. It's why Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment for our sin and he agreed to do it at the beginning of time because God himself said I agree to the terms and the judgment before I judge anyone else. There's not another God or religion that believes that. That's un, that is crazy. I will pay the price knowing they're going to sin, knowing what's going to happen. I agree to it. And he says, I will cut off every vestige of Baal. Baal was one of the gods that the children of Israel worshipped, a Canaanite god that they worshipped all the way through their history. Baal worship involved a lot of sexual activity and a lot of money changing. America. Okay, so, I'm just kidding. And then he says, Baal from this place, the names of the pagan priests, along with the God priests, like the, the real priests of God. Then he goes on and he says, those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the heavenly host, those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom, and those who turn back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of he mentions three things here. He talks about the worship on the rooftops. What he's saying is those that seek a celestial answer, like this, this miraculous, if, if I get higher, if I pray bigger prayers, if I, if I seek the heavens and cry out to the Mother Earth, and like, why don't you just seek the Lord? And then he goes on and he says those who say they believe in God, but then they pay loyalty to other gods because they're afraid that they're not going to get what they want. 
And then he says those who turn back from following the Lord. That there are going to be those that say, I'm following the Lord, but then they don't seek him or inquire of him. You see, it's these people that look to worship nature or the angels as their salvation. Does that sound familiar that we live in a culture today that we're more concerned about trash in the street and not recycling than we are humans sleeping in the street? What are we worshiping? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about recycling and trash. I don't want trash. I don't want to drink trash. I mean, I I get it. But be very careful that you're not moving towards a solution for nature that actually destroys people more because most of the policies that we're seeing right now worldwide are hammering the poor. They can't afford it. They're hurting badly because elites are making decisions to worship nature over human beings. A nature that's perishing. Another one was to, is synchronitism. It's the idea that all paths lead to the same place. That's what he says. You pledge loyalty to the Lord, but then you have these other gods too. Like, we, I, I really love Jesus, but I really like going to, you know, the mosque, and I really like having all these other idols in my life, and Jesus understands. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm human. No, there's one way to be saved, and it's through the person of God and through his son who he sent. Through his Messiah. That's, that's what the Bible says. So, so again, Zephaniah is like, there are those of you who say you believe in Jesus, say you follow Christ, but in reality, you know that there are all these idols that you cling to that if God were to take two or three of those away, you would curse him tomorrow. Maybe your wealth, your house, your kids, your, your marriage, whatever it is. Then he goes on, he says, those who, take, who don't take seriously following God And come to a place where they just say, you know, it's just not worth it anymore. The math doesn't add up for me to follow God. It seems like I follow God and I just get persecuted more. I just have more problems. I'm looking for a a God, a church, a husband, a wife, where it just just feels good. Just, can you imagine if God said, I'm just looking for a people that feel good. We're toast. (laughs) You're done. Praise the Lord that he's not looking for a people that feels good, that he's like, I'm looking for people that know they aren't good. That's what I'm looking for. And then I'll die for them and give them new life. And these people are saying, you know, it's just not worth it. You know, there's better ways to do things. Just do what God says and follow him. He says these three things. He says, follow, seek, and inquire. And really, this is what I want you to kind of take away. It's kind of an application this morning. Let me ask you, In light of on that day, whatever days are coming, maybe the end of days, what what are you practically doing to get ready? Zephaniah says the problem is these people I'm talking about don't follow the Lord, they don't seek, and they don't inquire. Well, then we should probably do the opposite of what they're doing, right? And so Matthew, Jesus, let's look at the actual words of Jesus that he spoke if you're struggling to believe that Jesus spoke through the prophet Zephaniah. Here's the actual words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scholars be killed and be raised on the third day. They had a serious problem with this, and Jesus' ministry starts to decline rapidly when he starts 
making sure people understand Zephaniah's message. There's a day coming of judgment, and it's going to fall on me. And they're all like, no, 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 you're going to be the king that makes everything good again and makes it easy and overthrows the Romans and makes it great. And Jesus is like, no, that'll happen one day, but not on this day. Not, not on the day that's coming. That's going to happen later. Then he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone. So remember, Zephaniah says, everyone, all man birds will be swept away. Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I've said this before, but the equivalent of Jesus saying this would be like giving his followers an electric chair necklace to wear around in our day. You know, you got a little wooden chair and his little hat, you know, with the little electric thing on top, and you're like wearing that, and you're surfing tables, you're at work, and people are like, what the heck is on your chain? Like, oh, that's my electric chair. It's just a reminder. A reminder of What? Like, it's a reminder that I'm dying. I, it's not my life anymore. I traded my life for another life, and Jesus paid the price for me, and so it's just my reminder that I, I'm continuing laying down my life and that he paid the price. That's what a cross is. It was a Roman execution tool. It was the most effective, probably one of the most effective, like, capital punishment tools ever used in the history of man. It was really good. They were really good at doing cross crucifixion so that it embarrassed you. They stripped you naked. They, they made you, they can make you live longer based on how much they tightened the ropes and lifted you up. Like they would play with you and taunt you depending on how long they wanted you to like be in display in front of people. And the crows would come and pick out your eyes if they wanted you to last longer. And that wouldn't kill you. It'd just make you miserable. And then when they finally got tired, they'd just break your knees and you suffocate. God chose to send his son on that day. Jesus told to tell his disciples, told them to tell them on that day that if you truly want to follow me, you've got to give up your life. Now, does he tell us all that we're going to be crucified? No, not everybody was crucified that Jesus. Many were. But you, you can't try to have it all. In Zephaniah's day, they were trying to hang on to the kingdom. And Zephaniah's like, it's over. God's already said that Manasseh's sin has to be judged. He's already said we're going to go into captivity through Jeremiah. He's already said these things. And it's actually worse than that. That's just the 70-year period. There's going to be a day when everything's swept away. He goes on and he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find real life. Find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul or his life, and what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Jesus is not preaching a worst-based gospel here. Jesus just said, if you choose to surrender your life and believe on me, you're guaranteed salvation. It's a guarantee. So when he says, according to what you've done, he's saying, what have you done with me? You don't want to follow me anymore because I've just told you the truth about following me. So do you really believe in me? Have you really surrendered to me? If you have, that's fine. And you can wrestle with trying to surrender. God is patient. We just sang about his mercy. Jason prayed about God's mercy and how wonderful it is and how patient he is with us. When he passed by Moses and said, if you see me, you'll drop dead. So I'm going to hide you in a rock and you just see my presence. He spoke, I am gracious and compassionate 
faithful and rich in love. He didn't say, here I come, blah, and like, I'm going to kill you. He was like, hey, I'm rich and faithful in love. And Moses was like, ah. It was terrifying. But God wanted him to know in the midst of that terror, in the midst of the hard message, in the midst of when it seems like it's all crashing down, you don't have to be terrified of me, God says. Be confident in me. My people have gone through this and I went through it. And he's telling his disciples, I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't already do. Jesus says in Luke 12, 31, so follow me. Then he says, but seek first his kingdom and all these things will be provided for you because the disciples were thinking about all their needs and all their wants and all their stuff and well, how are we going to get this and how we get that? And he's like, don't, seek God's kingdom first. Don't seek all that stuff. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. It doesn't say he delights to give you all the desires of your heart and goodies you want. That's not what this says. He wants to give you his kingdom and the things that will help you build his kingdom. That's what he wants to give you. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an exhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when your treasure gets swept away, it exposes what you really were trusting in. That thing, when it's taken away, when you no longer have it, and you go, what are you doing, God? God's like, what do you mean, what, what am I doing? It's all going to be swept away anyway. I just thought I'd take a little bit now to see what your response would be. You can't really pull a U-Haul behind a hearse. I mean, you can bury it beside you, but it's not just going to stay buried. He goes on and he says, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. See, that's what Zephaniah was saying to the people. They're like, you've got to be ready for the day of the Lord. You've got to follow him. And then he says, you also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Anytime someone tells you, 1988, they told us. 2000, they told us. 2012, they told us. Made a movie about it. Anytime someone says they know the date, dude, plan stuff on that day. Anytime someone comes out and says the day, the end of the world is coming, and they give you the day, be like, that is definitely not the day. I'm going to plan a vacation that day. Because God says no one knows the day. So it's going to come on a day when nobody expects. He goes on and he says, Matthew... When it comes to inquiring of the Lord, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts? Give good things to those who ask him. Give good things. See, we tell God what the good things are that we think we should have. And God, like a good parent, is like, I don't think you should have that. Two-year-olds are great at this. Have you ever had a two-year-old? Have you ever watched a two-year-old? They think everything's good for them. They're amazing. Like everything goes in the, like everything's good for me. They will open the cabinets, bleach is there, and they'll be like, that's good for me. I mean, 
They need discipline to teach them what is good for them. You need to be like, no. You put locks on the cabinet. You got, you got to do things because the world is a world that's being swept away. It'll kill you and you, our job is to like discipline one another. That's what the word disciple means. It's learning how to discipline my life so I'm living to build the right things and I don't die in the process. We know this physically, but spiritually it's the same thing. And so Jesus says, look, you should ask God, but it's not about asking God for what you want. It's about asking God to say, I just want you. I want to know you. I want your kingdom to come. How do I do that? I surrender. Jesus says, God's not going to give you a stone if you ask for a fish. He might not give you a fish. I ask for stuff all the time. God's like, no. You have kids. They ask for stuff all the time. They're like, no. Why not? Because I said so. Well, that's a stupid reason. It's the same reason God gives. I can give you more details, but you won't listen to me even if I give you more details because the second I start giving details, you'll just tune out. Like, uh, getting a sermon again. Like, well, you asked why. I'm trying to help you out. God gives a lot of why. Zephaniah goes on to say, and here's what he says. So he says, follow, seek, and inquire. And then this is key. Look at what he says. There's a day coming that should cause some fear and panic. Oh, my goodness. And here's what he looks at his people and he says, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. We live in a culture that's all about loud. It's all about being known, getting your name out there, getting your stuff out there. Just like it was in Zephaniah's day. There are multiple nations at war around Zephaniah. His king is maybe at this point, maybe off fighting, all this stuff. And he's like, hey, how about we just take some time to just be silent before God? to just seek him, to just take some time to sit back and quit going, 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 busy, 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 and just say, you are God. That's all I need to know. That is enough. It doesn't mean I don't get up tomorrow and do stuff. It's just I've got to take a moment. Most of the time when people do vacation, you know what they do? They take a vacation and they go, 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 go. We got to see this site. We got to do this thing. And you come back, you're more tired than when you left. You're exhausted. How about you like spend time with God? Like when I go on vacation, my favorite thing is like to read books I don't get to read and spend time with the family and pray and talk to people about spiritual things. That's what I love to do. I don't want to run, 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 run. We looked at this verse last week in 1 Thessalonians. Paul said to seek, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to be informed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, those who have passed away, those who have been swept away, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. (laughs) There is a hope. There's a sweeping away that's always happening, but there's always a hope. Because God has told us that on that day, he's going to come back. There will be judgment, and there will be a new body, a new resurrection, a new life. Zephaniah goes on to say, Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and he has consecrated his guests. This is a double meaning. Most scholars believe this is a double meaning. Because God at this time is raising up Judah to be the sacrifice, and he's raising up Babylonians to be the guest foreigners who are going to come up and destroy 
and make Judah a sacrifice for their sins. And this happens. We saw the chart. But it's also a prophecy of what God's going to do, that the Lord has already prepared his sacrifice when he agreed at the foundation of the world to be the lamb that was slain for us. And he says, I'm consecrating my guests. I'm getting those ready who are ready to repent and cry out to me. I'm getting my guest list ready. It's a double meaning. That yes, there's judgment, but on the other side, there's incredible hope for those who have gotten themselves ready by surrendering to Jesus. It's not by doing a bunch of works. It's by surrendering to him. Zephaniah goes on that, and he says, on that day, the Lord's sacrifice, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials, the king's sons, and all who are dressed in foreign clothing. On that day, I will punish all who skip over the threshold, who fill their master's house with violence and deceit. You think you've created family problems? Zephaniah's from the king's house. And he just looked at Josiah and looked at all the kingly officials and everyone and said, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, he's going to punish everybody. There will be no king standing except King Jesus. All the king's son, all dressed in foreign... This came true when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. They drug away the kings. They killed all the kings. They actually, historians, the the historian Josephus talks about the fact that the king's officials hid in the catacombs, hid in the aqueducts, and hid in the sewers of Jerusalem. And Babylon went and found all the family members and drug them out and assassinated them publicly. This happened. Again, Zephaniah is trying to give a warning so the people will repent. And what they do is they double down on hard-heartedness, which is why God finally sends Babylon. Because over and over again, he spared Hezekiah. He spared Manasseh. He brought revival through Josiah, but the people kept going back to evil. Those dressed in foreign clothing. Why do you dress in foreign clothing? Because you don't want people to know you're a follower. I don't want people to know I'm a Jew. Look, I'm a, I'm a Babylonian. Don't judge me. I look good, right? Like, I don't look different than anybody else. God's like, that's wicked. Why are you hiding that you're my child? Why are you hiding that you're different? Because I created you and I've made you and I've changed you. Don't put on the foreign clothing and the worldliness, Zephaniah says. Those who skip over the threshold, that's the idea that they just go into houses and take what they want, right? Some of you kids might want to consider that when you go home for college, how you treat your mom and dad. They're glad to have you home, but you might want to be careful about skipping over the threshold and not thinking about the love and the mercy, the sacrifice, the surrender that even bad parents still had to do to keep you alive. And pause and think about the gratefulness that you have. He says, and fill their master's house with violence and deceit. Then Zephaniah finishes up these last few verses. He says, on that day, this is the Lord's declaration. He keeps repeating that. There will be an outcry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second district, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you residents of the hollow, for all the merchants will be silenced. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. And at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will not do good or evil. 
Be careful we don't get too comfortable in this world and in this life. And be careful we don't think that God won't do good when we think he should do evil or that God won't do hard things when we think he should do something good. He's God, we're not. God is never evil, never. But he's just. And we love justice for everybody else and mercy for ourselves. But we can't stand mercy for others and to God to give us justice. So Zephaniah says, Jerusalem's going to be a mess. You're going to see it all swept away. The economy's going to be shot. All the silver's going to be gone. Then the last thing he says is this, their wealth will be pl- become plunder and their houses a ruin. They will build houses but never live in them, plant vineyards but never drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord, then the warrior's cry is bitter. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. There's coming a day when God says, enough is enough, I'm going to be the king and I'm going to set everything right. And he says here, I love this, he says that they're going to build houses but never live in them, plant vineyards. You know the three things that we're talking about more in our culture right now than anything else? The stock market, real estate, and food shortages. Oh, that's interesting. God said, yeah, that's typically how it goes down. Now, what's our response going to be? What's your response going to be on that day? Maybe God will give the United States another 100 years. I don't know. Maybe he won't. I don't know. We have people in this church that aren't citizens of the United States. They may not really care. I don't know. (laughs) I know this. This is the nation God's called me to. This is the place he's called me to. I'm called to pray. I'm called to live. I'm called to seek the Lord. I'm called, all those things. I'm praying, sometimes you gotta give your life for wicked kings, right? When the centurion came to know Jesus, Jesus didn't tell him to stop being a centurion. He kept being a centurion. I don't know how he did that. But can I ask you this? What are you afraid of being swept away? Maybe you feel like God's already swept so much away, like what else more can he take? Can I just tell you, if you're at that point, there is a God who is looking at you and saying, there's hope. I'm right here. I'm right in front of you, God says. Like, I'm trying to get you to, to recognize that this is the day. Today might be the day for you where you need to surrender to Christ. You need to follow him. You need to seek him. You need to start inquiring of him. You need to start, stop trusting the, the, the wealth and the homes and the food and start trusting him. I can tell you this, I don't know if God will fix whatever problems you're in on this day or on Friday or on September 10th or in 2024, but I guarantee you he will fix it on that day forever. And there is no religion that gives the basis of that foundation for their God. So let me encourage you. 
If you know, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I would encourage you to consider the claims made here today. There is a day coming. You can't get around that. Scientifically, it's coming. The question is, is there anything after it? And if there is, is there anything worth living for now to build what's coming after? And I say there is. Jesus says there is. Zephaniah says there is. And that's what we need to cling to this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word from Zephaniah. Thank you for you calling him a man that didn't look like everybody else, that was privileged unlike anyone else, seemed like that maybe that would make the message easier and it actually made it sting a lot more. He was willing to stand up to his own household with the truth of your word. He was willing to call out for repentance to the nation. He was willing not to just go along with the peace and the revival and the great times that seemed to be happening under Josiah but he was reminding the people of what you said in your word, that there was a day coming that the judgment was going to fall on what Manasseh did. And there was an ultimate day that would finally come and the judgment would fall on all the nations and everyone that refused to bow a knee to you. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has not made that decision to surrender their lives to you, they haven't picked up their cross, they haven't given their lives, they aren't seeking you, following you, or inquiring of you, Would today and this moment be the first time when they finally just said, I'm done? I'm willing to be, I'm willing to give my life and be swept away so that God can can gather me and bring me to him. And so, Father, I pray that if anyone's in that position this morning, that they would just ask you, Jesus, they would look to you and say, I believe who you are. I invite you to come to my life to change me and to help me to understand the world around me, to follow you, to seek you, and inquire you all the days of my life. And I pray that if they make that decision and they pray that prayer, that they would tell somebody about it. preferably someone that can help them become a disciple, because if they're just an infant, they, it's going to be hard to survive. They need help of the body of Christ. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray that we would take this word seriously this morning. That we wouldn't trust in our wealth, we wouldn't trust in our homes, we wouldn't trust in our resources that we've built up, but Lord, that we would trust in you. And that that message would be what we take out to the world around us, just like the message Zephaniah took to the world around him. And Lord, help us to have joy in doing it that we have the joy of the Lord as our strength to know that you've got it under control, that you warn us, you tell us because you love us and you explain it to us so that we can see clearly and get ourselves ready for when things are swept away. We thank you and praise you in your name.